Hey there, podcast listeners. Uh, before we start today's lesson from the book of Daniel, I just wanted to invite you all to the 2014 Midwinter Retreat hosted by the Saints at Berean Bible Church in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin, on the weekend of February 14th, 15th, and 16th. The messages during this year's retreat will cover the first 12 chapters of the book of Matthew. I'm going to be teaching on Saturday and Sunday mornings. Uh, there's a, a whole slate of other speakers, including Mike Teary, Larry Gabbard, Dan Gross, Joe Wanda, Alan McKean, James Lathrop, and Stephen Kappas. I'd love to meet some of you in person if you're able to come to the retreat. So if you need uh, more information about schedules or lodging arrangements, just send me an email at richard at richardchurch.com. Thanks and enjoy today's lesson. Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. All right, Daniel chapter 4. And and so this dream that, that Nebuchadnezzar has is about Nebuchadnezzar. It's about himself. Daniel begins to give the interpretation in verse 19. It says, Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonied for one hour. That's just a, an older way of saying astonished. Uh, these, these events, this isn't some light thing to Daniel. He understands this is something very important. And uh, Daniel, you know, Daniel by this time, I mean, he's, he's achieved some level of power within Babylon. He's been set up and given a, a position there by Nebuchadnezzar. But Daniel understands right away what the interpretation of the dream is, but he's so, he's so overcome by the implications of it, he's astonished for an hour he can't give the interpretation. Not because he doesn't know what it is, but because he's, he's, you know, he's probably uh, trying to put, put yourself in Daniel's place. He knows what the meaning is. He's probably in some way thinking about how do I how do I put this lightly? A lot of times with a with a king, a powerful king like Nebuchadnezzar, you don't want to be blunt. Um, although Daniel winds up being pretty blunt here anyway. But uh, he's he's a stonied for one hour and his thoughts troubled him. The king spake and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble thee. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, the dream be to them that hate thee and the interpretation thereof to thine enemies. Now the dream in chapter 2 said some pretty nice things about Nebuchadnezzar, right? I mean, he's the head of gold. He's the head of that whole, that whole image, right? And, and uh, the only thing that might be taken negative there to a man like Nebuchadnezzar would be that stone that knocked the image down. But, but Nebuchadnezzar is the head of gold. He's not the feet of, of iron mixed with clay, so he doesn't have to worry about that. Here, Daniel says, this dream, this dream isn't something good for you. This dream is going to be welcome news to the people that hate you, to the, to the people who want to, want to destroy you. And, uh, he says it's to your enemies. Verse 20, the tree that thou sawest which grew and was strong, whose height reached unto the heaven and the sight thereof to all the earth, whose leaves were fair and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all under which the beasts of the field dwelt and upon whose branches the fowl of the heaven had their habitation, it is thou, O king. 
And in Daniel 2, he said, Thou, O king, art this head of gold. Here the tree, the central figure of the dream, again is Nebuchadnezzar. Now, uh, this, is, this is very similar. Put a mark here and uh, go to Ezekiel chapter 31. There's a, a very similar description in Ezekiel 31, uh, which Ezekiel 31 is a, a warning to Egypt, and it refers to a, another kingdom as being this great tree. Ezekiel 31 verse 1 says, It came to pass in the eleventh year, in the third month, in the first day of the month, that the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his multitude, Whom art thou like in thy greatness? Behold, the Assyrian was a cedar in Lebanon with fair branches, and with a shadowing shroud and of a high stature. And his top was among the thick boughs. The waters made him great. The deep set him up on high with her rivers running round about his plants and sent out her little rivers unto all the trees of the field. Therefore his height was exalted above all the trees of the field and his boughs were multiplied and his branches became long because of the multitude of waters when he shot forth. All the fowls of heaven made their nests in his boughs and under his branches did all the beasts of the field bring forth their young and under his shadow dwelt all great nations. Thus was he fair in his greatness in the length of his branches, for his root was by great waters. The cedars in the garden of God could not hide him. The fir trees were not like his boughs, and the chestnut trees were not like his branches, nor any tree in the garden of God was like unto him in his beauty. I have made him fair by the multitude of his branches, so that all the trees of Eden that were in the garden of God envied him. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, because thou hast lifted up thyself in height, and he hath shot up his top among the thick boughs, and his heart is lifted up in his height, I have therefore delivered him into the hand of the mighty one of the heathen. He shall surely deal with him. I have driven him out for his wickedness. And strangers, verse 12, the terrible of the nations, have cut him off and have left him upon the mountains and in all the valleys his branches are fallen. His boughs are broken by all the rivers of the land and all the people of the earth are gone down from his shadow and left him. Upon his ruin shall all the fowls of the heaven remain and all the beasts of the field shall be upon his branches. And uh, here, now understand that often these prophecies have a dual fulfillment. They often have a near-term fulfillment and a uh, far-term or, or long-term fulfillment. And uh, here, as, as Ezekiel is writing these words, this is a warning to Pharaoh there at the, at the time that, you know, look how great the Assyrian was and the Lord made him great and the Lord destroyed him. And it's a warning to Egypt, don't think too highly of yourself. In fact, the mighty one of the heathen that it mentions in verse 11 is Nebuchadnezzar. He says he, he uh, delivered him into the hand of the mighty one of the heathen. And he gives Nebuchadnezzar that victory over Assyria. And he says, look at him now. His branches are cut off. Uh, instead of the, the beasts being under his branches, now the beasts are upon his branches. Right? Instead of him being the, the sustainer of all of these other nations and peoples, he's cut down. And the warning is to Egypt, you know, you've tried to make yourself something great, be warned about it. But you understand that the term the Assyrian often in Scripture is also reference to a future individual uh, also called the Antichrist. And so there are elements here that uh, apply there as well. Another man who's going to raise himself up and who's going to be brought down by the Lord. 
But you see the similarities between what he says here about the Assyrian and what he says to Nebuchadnezzar. So where where uh, here in Ezekiel, you know, it refers to Nebuchadnezzar as the mighty one of the heathen who cut down the Assyrian. Now he says to Nebuchadnezzar, you're this great tree, you're lifted up, you're raised up, but some things are going to happen. Now there's some differences. Because here that Assyrian is cut down and there's just no power left. But with Nebuchadnezzar, in his dream, go back to Daniel. In Nebuchadnezzar's dream, you notice what it says. Verse 22, it says, It is thou, O king, that art grown and become strong, for thy greatness is grown and reacheth unto heaven, and thy dominion to the end of the earth. And whereas the king saw a watcher and an holy one coming down from heaven. Uh, a watcher, by the way, is a reference to an angel. And angels are often described, in fact, most often what angels are doing, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, is they're observing. Paul says we're made a spectacle unto the world and angels. Uh, here in the dispensation of grace, he says that, that uh, you know, now the, the mystery, the hidden wisdom of God, can be made known by the church, even to principalities and powers. Angels learn something by watching you and I. Okay? And, and here, these angels are described as watchers. Uh, it says, a watcher and a holy one came down. Now, in this case, the angels are going to do more than watching because the angel is going to cut down the tree. And, and so the angel comes, the, the watcher. It says, whereas the king saw a watcher and a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, hew the tree down and destroy it, yet leave the stump of the roots thereof in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass. The idea is that something is left behind. right? It's not just the tree destroyed like, like it describes that Assyrian in Ezekiel, but here something is left behind. And uh, it says, the end of verse 23, um, even with a band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee, till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And so, what Daniel is saying is going to happen here, is that Nebuchadnezzar is going to become like, like that image of him there. And you see it depicts Nebuchadnezzar as being naked. You see his nails are, are grown, like it describes there, his beard and his hair is grown. Um, you know, oftentimes people, when they, when they look at these events in the Bible, they try and come up with natural causes for these things. And, and you know, there is a, a type of madness that sometimes is referred to as lycanthropy, where somebody believes that they are an animal. Okay? Uh, this, is, this is something, though, that the Bible portrays as being caused by God. God does this to Nebuchadnezzar. And he the heart of a man, the, the understanding... The, you know, the identity as a man is taken away from him and the heart of a beast is given whereas 
before in the dream, the beasts of the field lodged under the branches. The tree is cut down and he basically becomes a beast. He becomes one of them. Uh, it, it's, it's interesting that it describes him as a beast here because, you know, the, the term beast often is used to signify some things about man in the scripture. Let's get a, a couple of passages. You go to Second Peter chapter 2. But uh, you remember in Genesis chapter 3, it describes the serpent as being the most subtle of the beasts of the field. And here it, it describes Nebuchadnezzar in connection with the beasts of the field. Okay, look at Second Peter chapter 2 and see how it describes sinful man here. Second Peter chapter 2, and specifically those who don't acknowledge proper authority is who it's describing in this passage. Second Peter chapter 2, and let's start in verse 9. It says, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished but chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Now, uh, Nebuchadnezzar certainly would be somebody who had great, great uh, confidence in his own government, but he wasn't recognizing the government of God. He wasn't recognizing that uh, what, what Paul describes in Romans 13 when he says the powers that be are ordained of God. And, and here's what it says about those that despise government presumptuous are they, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities, whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. You know, in the book of Jude, it says that uh, Michael the archangel wouldn't bring railing accusation against the devil himself. Why? Because the devil had been given a position of authority that has not yet been taken away. And so Michael the archangel... Uh, had so much respect for, for authority that God had put in place that he would say to the devil, the Lord rebuke thee, but he wouldn't bring railing accusation against thee. You know, that ought to be our attitude toward, toward uh, government as well when it's in an ungodly, you know, uh, governing in an ungodly way is not to bring railing accusation. I mean, that's, the, that's what the flesh does. The flesh just, you know, it goes out and... and uh, just brings railing accusation against that government. It ought to be the Lord rebuke thee, right? That was that's the attitude of Michael the archangel. And Peter's point here is that if he, if even angels that are greater in power and might, if they won't bring railing accusation against authorities that God has established, what ought to be our attitude? Uh, he says, verse twelve. But these, as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Skip down to verse, uh, go down to verse 17 in that same chapter. Still the same context, it says, These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. And they, they speak these swelling words of vanity. Right? It gives an outward appearance of something good and beneficial, but it's just emptiness. And uh, it, it's really describing somebody like Nebuchadnezzar here. Okay? And you see it describes them as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed. 
And so when God gives Nebuchadnezzar the heart of a beast, what he's doing is he's just giving a kind of a, a visual obvious display of the spiritual state of what Nebuchadnezzar really is. When he, when he gives Nebuchadnezzar back his reason here at, at the end of chapter 4, uh, it's at that time that then he acknowledges God and, and then he's given, he's given back the heart of a man and that becomes a, a representation of him fulfilling really what God created man for. Okay, go back to our text in, in Daniel 4. And so, so again, what, what happens here, um, is just, he already has the heart of a beast. He's had a heart of a beast since he was born. Now he's just going to act like that. It says, till seven times he passed over thee. Right? Seven times. And it doesn't specifically say seven years, but that seems to be what's indicated. Often the word times, especially when used in prophecy, means a year. A time is a year. Uh, think about how Daniel and Revelation refer to time, times, and the dividing of time, or time, times, and half a time. That's referring to a period of three and a half years. One time plus two times plus a half a time, three and a half. Right here when it says seven times are passed over him, that's a period of seven years. And so for seven years, Nebuchadnezzar, according to the, the dream, for seven years, Nebuchadnezzar is going to be like that. For seven years, Nebuchadnezzar is going to be acting like a beast. He's going to be out. The dew is going to cover him. His nails are going to grow. His hair is going to grow. He's going to eat grass like an ox. He's not going to be to anybody, to any, to any appearance of any rational person. He's not going to be a man. He's going to be a beast. And, uh, verse, verse, uh, 26 though, there is hope here in the dream because verse 26 says, whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree roots, Thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee, after that thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. And so God's going to bring it about. I mean, that, that's, that's a miracle in itself, that here you could have a king like Nebuchadnezzar for seven years, unable to rule, for seven years in, in madness, seven years acting like a beast, and yet the kingdom is going to be sure to him. He's not going to lose his kingdom. You know, there's, there's only a couple ways you could do that, and, and probably the most common one is that they would cover it up in some way. That somebody would, would uh, act like they were ruling as Nebuchadnezzar, but wasn't really. And that's a pretty rare thing in itself, because usually in a case like this, enough people are going to know about it that they're going to start positioning themselves to be the ones that, ones that take over. right? And uh, here God promises him, though, that the kingdom is going to be sure to him, and once he's found out that it's really the heavens that rule, he's going to receive his kingdom back again. Verse 27, Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee, and break off thy sins by righteousness, and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. Now, one of the principles you always have to keep in mind regarding Bible prophecy is that God says that when he has prophesied evil concerning somebody, if they repent, he'll repent of the evil that he said he was going to do to them. And that's why there are many times in Scripture where you will see a, a uh, prophetic pronouncement that then is delayed. Right? You remember when, when Jonah goes to Nineveh and he tells them God's going to destroy the city and they repented and God didn't destroy the city. Now eventually, Nineveh was destroyed. 
It's not, it's not that uh, you know, God just decides he's not going to do it at all, but there can be a delay there. And here, that's what Daniel counsels King Nebuchadnezzar, is he says, look, best thing that you can do is put away your sins, uh, be merciful to the poor, right? And maybe there will be a lengthening of your tranquility. He said at the beginning of the chapter that he was, he was at peace, he was flourishing in his palace. Daniel says, if you want to continue, if you want to have any hope of that continuing, stop sinning and uh, be merciful to the poor. Verse 28 says, All this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar at the end of twelve months. He walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty. He looks around. He's in his palace. He looks around the kingdom and he thinks, I'm just, I'm just really a pretty great guy. Look at, look at everything I've done. Look at what I've built. Look at uh, this kingdom I've built, this house that I've built by my power and for the honor of my majesty. Now, you compare that with what he said at the, at the beginning before he began to relate these ev- events where he talked about the, uh, the Lord having an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. And God uses that moment as, as uh, Nebuchadnezzar looks out and thinks, it just can't get any better than this. And look at all these great things that I've done. Look at this kingdom that I've built. God uses that instant to bring these things to pass. Very similar, by the way, to an account in the New Testament when Herod uh, uh, you know, takes, takes credit basically for being God and the Lord strikes him down dead. But here he's not going to strike Nebuchadnezzar dead. Here he's going to bring to pass the, the events that were prophesied in the dream. Verse 31, While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. Now you have very few places in the Scripture where somebody actually hears a voice from heaven. You can think of a a few cases. right? I mean, you can think of Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. Uh, You know, you can think of some other cases. Here Nebuchadnezzar, uh, a Gentile no less, hears a voice from heaven and he says, the kingdom is departed from thee. They shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, who was driven from men, and did eat grass as oxen, His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven and mine understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored Him that liveth forever whose dominion is an everlasting dominion and His kingdom is from generation to generation. You see the the change of focus here. Uh, just a few verses earlier, where, where did Nebuchadnezzar have his eyes? He was looking at the greatness of his kingdom. right? He's in his palace. He's, he's looking at all these things he's accomplished. 
Now he turns his eyes to heaven. Now instead of praising the might of his power, he praises the power of God. He blesses God. He uh, honors him that liveth forever. Uh, instead of praising the honor of my majesty, he talks about the everlasting kingdom or, or whose kingdom is from generation to generation. And he says his reason returned to him. And, you know, you know, belief in God is a reasonable thing. Now, what, what sinful man does is they twist reason all around to try and reason away God, reason around God. But, you know, just so, so many witnesses, you look out, whether it be, whether it be the, you know, the, the verifiable truth of God's word or whether it be the creation itself, it's reasonable to believe in God. And here is his reason returns to him. He departs from the unreasonable things he had been doing, crediting himself, and instead he turns his eyes to heaven, he praises God, and he says that his counselors and his lords sought unto him. He says, I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. The Lord had already given him a great deal of majesty. He incorrectly attributed that to himself, but here now, when he, when he acknowledges God, you see, excellent majesty is added to him. And verse 37 is the conclusion of the chapter when he says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth, and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. There's Nebuchadnezzar's profession of faith. He says, now, after all of this, now, I don't just... I don't just recognize there's something different about Daniel and, and uh, his friends. I don't just uh, see that the spirit of the gods is in Daniel and want to worship him and offer sacrifices to him. I don't just recognize that, that uh, the God of these Hebrews is able to deliver them and make it illegal for anybody to say anything against their God. Now, Nebuchadnezzar himself says, I praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. And this is the last here in the book of Daniel that you hear about Nebuchadnezzar as far you know it's the last time he's he's portrayed as being a you know a, a figure that's current. When you get into chapter 5 you're you're uh, several years down the road and it's talking about king Belshazzar because this is really the most important moment of Nebuchadnezzar's life. His most important moment was not when he defeated Egypt and Assyria at the battle of Carchemish his most important moment was not when he defeated Jerusalem or when he carried the Babylonians away captive. Here, he praises and honors and extols the king of heaven. He recognizes he's not the ultimate king. There's a king of heaven that's higher than him, that's given him that power, and uh, he, he praises and extols and honors that king. And just in closing, I want you to go to Psalm 145 because the things that Nebuchadnezzar says here wind up almost being a quote of Scripture in the Psalms. And, uh, you know, it, it, you can fill in the details, but there's no doubt if he comes here to, to honor and extol and, and worship the King of Heaven, that he would want to find out more about him. And there's no doubt in my mind that Nebuchadnezzar would have brought Daniel in and said, teach me about your God. And Daniel would have taken him through these, these uh, Old Testament passages. And notice Psalm 145. Now this is a psalm of David. These are, these are David's thoughts. But in, in a way, Psalm 145, if you ever want to do an interesting thing, 
try and answer the question with Scripture, how is somebody saved in the Old Testament? What do they have to believe? What do they have to do? Right? I mean, it's clear in the New Testament for, and, and in Paul's epistles for the dispensation of grace what you have to do to be saved. Give me some scripture about how somebody's saved in the Old Testament. And uh, Psalm 145 comes comes pretty close to at least demonstrating uh, certainly what a what you know what would characterize a believer. Psalm 145 says, "I will extol thee, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name forever and ever." Sound familiar? Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works. You see, see how many of these statements here, it's not, you know, it's not directly quoted by Nebuchadnezzar, but, but almost, uh, certain phrases are quoted. Men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts and I will declare thy greatness. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness and shall sing of thy righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations." Where did Nebuchadnezzar know to say something like that? that? I think that probably is a direct quote. He says it at the beginning of Daniel 4, at the end of Daniel 4, and I think he's probably quoting from Psalm 145. The Lord upholdeth all that fall and raiseth up all those that be bowed down. The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. Now, as he described Nebuchadnezzar and the way he viewed himself as that tall tree, Nebuchadnezzar was the one giving meat to the beasts of the field and the fowls of the air. Uh, here it's the Lord, truly, that gives meat in due season. Thou openest thine hand and satisfiest the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. The Lord preserveth all them that love him, but all the wicked will he destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. And uh, again, you know, some of those things that, that uh, Nebuchadnezzar says are so close to this passage of Scripture that it seems reasonable that you know, that's what he's quoting from. And it ends by saying, let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. And Nebuchadnezzar sends out a declaration to everybody on the earth about these events and how he came to really to fulfill this passage of scripture that now he praises, rather than praising himself, he praises and extols and honors the king of heaven. And uh, that's, you know, Nebuchadnezzar would be a great example of a Gentile that's saved in the Old Testament. Uh, he's saved through that testimony of Daniel, through the testimony of, of Daniel's friends. And you have that, that profession of faith. Just a, a great passage of Scripture, a unique passage of Scripture. Um, and and uh, certainly gives us a, a great insight into these events in history. Now that's something you'll never learn about Nebuchadnezzar from reading a history book. You'll never learn that he came to, to worship the God of a people that he had conquered. I mean, it seems like normally it would be the other way around, right? 
I mean, if you conquered them, your God must be greater than their God, right? But Nebuchadnezzar comes to see his place that he conquers not because his gods are greater, but because their God is doing something, and he has a part to play in that. And, and he becomes a willing servant of the God of Israel. And now let's just have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these things. We thank you for this testimony of faith by King Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, just, just for all these great things in this passage, we pray that we wouldn't be lifted up with pride, uh, even in our position that we have in Christ. Our, our flesh can twist that into a prideful thing. But we pray that uh, we, would, we would recognize our place in your plan as Nebuchadnezzar did. And we thank you in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who died for us, shed his blood to pay the price of our sins and rose again from the dead. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.